Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. Today I'd like to welcome Lynn Abramson, president of the Clean Energy Business Network. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Raj. Lynn, I have to start out of the gate. You baited me, um, the comic book that influenced your life. Oh, the, you, the science yes, fiction book. The science fiction book. Yes, yes. It uh, profound impact on my life, which just goes to show how much uh, literature can impact us. Yeah, so um, when I was 11 years old, I read a book by Madeline L'Engle. Uh, she's the author of A Wrinkle in Time and a number of other science fiction um, books for mostly young adult audiences. And one of her novels is called A Ring of Endless Light. And it's um, basically the, the protagonists of this story are marine biologists who um, are telepathically communicating with dolphins and all sorts of things <laughs> as they're studying them. But there's, there's quite – what I love about her novels is that there's obviously a lot of fiction in them, but there's also a lot of science and real science that's woven in with the, with the story. And there was a lot of science about marine mammals in this book, and it got me interested – in becoming a marine biologist. Now, what 11-year-old girl does not want to grow up to become a marine biologist and communicate telepathically with dolphins? Um, but I actually continued to pursue it. And uh, throughout high school, did all these science camps and science projects and um, I majored in biology in college. And then I went off to pursue my PhD in marine and atmospheric science and now focusing more on chemical oceanography, uh, not on dolphins, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it really did inspire my ultimate career path in science and now in addressing climate, climate change. That is quite a trajectory from a book. And, I know. um, I have an 11 year old daughter, so maybe I'll add it to her reading list and, if she takes up in the same direction as you, well, I'll be proud of her. That's fantastic. Well, if, even if she chooses to do something else, I think uh, definitely getting a little bit of exposure to science in a interesting and fun way is is a great way for kids to learn about science. I, I agree, and um, maybe slightly up subject, but um, I'm a believer in telepathy, so let's see if that works <laughs> out for her. So, so Lynn, right. tell the audience and tell me a little bit more about the Clean Energy Business Network. Sure. So we are the small business voice for the clean energy economy, and we represent a little over 3,000 small and mid-sized providers of clean energy technologies and services uh, nationwide. They're present in all 50 states, about 350 congressional districts. So our members really speak to the breadth and diversity of the clean energy economy. Um, and they have, we have members that are working in renewable energy, energy efficiency, natural gas, storage, advanced transportation solutions, carbon capture and utilization. So a, a really broad range of uh, technologies. And um, what we do as an organization to support these small businesses and entrepreneurs is really in three areas. Uh, one is in providing policy support. So we help these small businesses, many of whom do not have any government relations professionals, stay informed about major policy issues that impact market opportunities for their technologies. And we provide platforms for them to engage in a really easy and efficient manner. Uh, we also work to promote market and technology education, both within the industry, sharing of expertise among 
industry professionals, but also externally to public and policymaker audiences to promote more understanding of the breadth of available clean energy solutions and greater support for those technologies. And then the third area in which we work is uh, to provide business development assistance to our members, primarily by aggregating uh, data and resources on things such as funding opportunities or events, uh, you know, that are crucial to supporting these entrepreneurs. So we aggregate those that information for them, um, but also we help provide greater exposure to potential partners, investors, and clients through tools such as uh, a searchable member-to-member networking directory and also curated introductions among professionals that we think have mutual interests. So the second one you mentioned about sharing the technologies, how do you do that? Yeah, so we have a number of mechanisms um, for promoting that market information. We are actually um, an independent small business division of a broader coalition called the Business Council for Sustainable Energy, which has been around now for 27 years. And it's a coalition of the major sector-specific trade associations and big corporations in all of the clean energy sectors. And they Mm -hmm. annually produce a report in partnership with Bloomberg New Energy Finance called the Sustainable Energy in America Factbook, which looks at uh, the decadal but also prior year trends in uh, the deployment and investment and and some of the the nuances of particular developments relating to clean energy. So we help disseminate that uh, to the industry professionals within our network to help them understand how the markets are evolving, what are some of the opportunities for their companies. Um, We also help promote uh, dialogues among various other organizations. So we, we work with partners in states and a number of technology-specific partners and help promote exchange of information within the industry. So recognizing that our members come from really diverse technologies, uh, there can be opportunities, for example, for a solar developer and a combined heat and power developer to team up and look at comprehensive microgrid solutions for a particular client um, or an energy efficiency you know, firm that's providing energy efficiency retrofits Mm -hmm. to learn about a particular new type of uh, valve that, you know, can provide solutions for commercial buildings. Um, So we, we, uh, we share the sustainable energy America Factbook data. We also produce a companion project called faces behind the facts, which profiles case studies of business leaders across the industry. And, and it's a tool that's meant to be, very accessible to the public and easy to understand and uses storytelling kind of, you know, in the manner that uh, I referenced with this book I read, um, you know, we try to get people interested Mm -hmm. through the personal stories of these people, but we talk about their technologies and it's useful for public audiences, but also within the industry for folks to learn about different kinds of technologies. Um, And then we offer things such as member to member webinars and dialogues to share technical information uh, and we also utilize our member directory and funding database to communicate opportunities to partner up with with other businesses. So to get just um, 
super tactical uh-huh. just for a moment. Do you share this information via newsletter, yeah. um, some kind of physical book? How, how do you share That's this? That's a great question. So we, we produce a weekly newsletter where we have um, a range of major policy developments, events, funding opportunities, and news. And we keep it everything very succinct. Um, so, you know, one or two sentences about these these various um various topics uh, with the most important things front letter at the top. So it's a good place for people to just skim and see what might be relevant to their industry. Um, and then mm-hmm. we also produce uh, blog posts or articles that take a deeper dive on particular issues, such as policy issues uh, that people in our network would be interested in learning about. We produce webinars, I'd say once every month or so, um, to, you know, provide a little bit more information. Uh, we also share information about partner, you know, our partners, um, webinars and events that might be useful. Mm-hmm. We, the, the faces profiles are something that, uh, are up on our website. There's a dedicated section with all of these faces profiles, and we also disseminate them proactively to various audiences. So we do social media, uh, posts on these and we produce, you know, kind of little short versions of them for social media. We do some videos occasionally. Um, We also proactively send them out to policymakers in the areas that these folks come from so that they can learn about some of the interesting work their constituents are doing. And some of those have resulted in follow-on media opportunities or policymaker site visits. And then there's this event that we are proud to be part of called National Clean Energy Week that is the last week of September. Mm-hmm. This is the third year of its existence. And we compile the FACES profiles that we have rolled out throughout the year and uh, produce a booklet that we disseminate at this event, which is attended by members of Congress and all sorts of agency officials and um, you know high-level decision makers, and we use it as an educational tool at the event, but also in follow-on materials afterwards. And so last year, I believe we disseminated the FACES profiles to something like 60 congressional offices, as well as the gubernatorial candidates um, on both sides uh, for all the states that, you know, were up for election. And uh, we've also used it as a supporting tool in some of our policy outreach. So for example, when we go to Congress and talk about the impacts of uh, clean energy tax policies or funding for clean energy programs, we can point to specific examples in some of these case studies of small businesses in their states and districts that have been directly impacted by these federal policies and can really speak to, you know, the market impacts that result. So it sounds like you guys are really we busy. Are, we are. We are. We're, we we're doing a lot of things <laughs> and, and we have a very uh, small team, but we are lucky to partner. You know, our parent organization also has a small team. There are only four staff and we have only two staff and two part-time fellows, but we, um, we, wow. we I think we rely a lot on partnerships. We have a lo- relationships with a lot of different organizations mm-hmm. and we have the fantastic businesses in our network to really leverage those relationships to get a lot done. And, and, you know, one of our funders once um, commented in response to a project we put together, they said, you know, CBN's a really small but mighty team. And I love that because I think that mm-hmm. that reflects how we operate, but also it's representative of our the businesses that we work with as well. They are small, but they're mighty and they're really making a, a huge impact on our economy. 
I think it also represents your commitment and, um, you know, touching on that. And you kind of mentioned in the beginning regarding the book and the trajectory that it gave you in your life. You know, why is the clean energy business? Yeah, that's, so a, that's a great question. I think it's, well, going back a little bit um, to how I ended up with CEBN, because I think that helps answer the question, but I'll, I'll also tell you a little bit about where I am mm-hmm. now. So I, you know, after deciding to go into science and I was, for, for my doctoral research, I was looking at some of the biological and chemical processes in the ocean that impact the ocean's ability to store carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And I really enjoyed the research and it was fascinating, but I realized quickly that I wanted to, after graduating, do something more applied with my science background and not continue down a research path. And so I, um, got a Mm -hmm. fellowship in Washington, D.C. that put me in a sort of one-year stint, you know, they bring policy, uh, I'm sorry, scientists to work in policy positions. Um, And I ended up on the Hill, and I ended up staying on the Hill for six years and working in in policy. And I always wanted to get more focused on on clean energy and sort of uh, climate change mitigation solutions. Um, So that was my area of focus. Um, So I... And I had Mm -hmm. seen in my time on the Hill that the policy is a really important component, but you absolutely need market-based solutions. So the policy has to drive market-based solutions, but also Mm -hmm. you need to engage the business community, especially here in the United States where, you know, we place such a huge premium on free markets and and the economy. Um, And so working with business Mm -hmm. constituencies to find solutions was critical. So I ended up um, with kind of really looking for a place where I could work on that, work on bringing businesses into climate solutions and uh, was fortunate to land a position with the Pew Charitable Trusts managing the Clean Energy Business Network. It was founded by Pew 10 years ago um, as really a tool to help engage these businesses Mm -hmm. in Pew's policy objectives. But then two years ago, we spun out of Pew to incorporate as an organization in our own right. And so one part of the answer to your question is that I think uh, I really have seen from personal experience in working now in the science community and then in the policy community that uh, you you absolutely need to involve businesses and, and look at market-based solutions or we are not going to address this huge problem of climate change. Um, and the good news mm-hmm. is that the economy is moving in this direction of lower carbon technologies, but there are things we can do in, in terms of the policy and in terms of providing support to these businesses that can help us get there faster. And so I, this network is really important to me because I do think it's critical to this, this challenge, but I also think it's critical to our economic future. And I'm excited, you know, as a technology person by working with what I see as being the technologies and the economy of the future and frankly, even the present, um, you know, we're moving forward in an, in an exciting new direction. I love that. Um, and I love working with these mm-hmm. various entrepreneurs and sort of the promise of what their technologies holds is very exciting to me. Um, and I also love working with these small businesses because the big corporations, they're getting there. They, you know, they have the tools that they need, but I kind mm-hmm. of root for the underdogs that are going to become the big corporations of the future, or frankly, you know, many of the businesses in our network, they will tap out at 
you know, 10, 40 employees, and that's perfectly fine for their business model. But I want to help them Mm -hmm. sustain their business, or if growth is their goal, I want to help them get there. So I just love supporting these entrepreneurs and working with them to make their dreams reality. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a couple of different things that I want to touch on with you. Um, and <laughs> a couple are going to be for, for selfish reasons. I have three young daughters. Um, you mentioned a background in science. You've mentioned technology several times. You've mentioned underdogs. Um, I learned something very interesting in a conversation I had this morning. A gentleman in my network was speaking about how he was uh, teaching and mentoring um, kids in STEM programs, starting from second grade through to eighth grade. And he said, you know, what it gave him the opportunity to see was how the, you know, in second grade, you know, there was right. almost an equal amount of boys and girls involved in the STEM programs. But as they moved up through the grades and up to eighth grade, he would see, a, you know, a, quite a significant drop off in the women slash girls that are involved in STEM and technology programs. And, you know, some of the pushback we're hearing today regarding the amount of, you know, women that are involved in technology, you know, what would you suggest or, you know, what would your recommendations be to women that are either involved in companies with technology in this space or just from an overall perspective, you know, how, how do you, we keep, you know, women engaged in these yeah, programs? Yeah, that's a terrific question. To have careers and such a, lot of, a lot of folks have looked at this, you know, in, in, in so much depth and there's a lot of social research in this regard that I, I can't promise to be the expert on um, sort of the sociology behind it. But I guess based on my own experience, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I, I did see in graduate school, we actually had a, a significant number of women in my program, but um, you, I do have seen at every stage of my education that you do see fewer and fewer women represented. Um, and I think there are several reasons behind that. I think it's gotten a lot better, but there has been some, you know, there, there have been some sort of historic um, uh, cultural factors, I think, that we're still decades later kind of uh, unraveling um, that made women feel less welcome or less competent in science than men. Um, I think also the culture of science in academia has been um, off-putting to some women, you know, particularly we didn't always see female role models in positions such as, you know, being the the lead PIs mm-hmm. on projects or professors. And so I know a lot of women kind of uh, in graduate school, we had fears about, uh, you know, how will we balance things like career and family or how will we kind of be taken seriously as we're competing with men? I think a lot of that's gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, the culture has really shifted, but it takes time to see those changes resonate. But I think there's mm-hmm. also... Um, mm-hmm. There's, I think there's a degree to which men, perhaps there are some gender differences in how men and women learn and how we engage professionally. And there has been some research on this, you know, for example, saying that mm-hmm. um, boys do better if they're in classrooms where the teacher moves around a lot and, and is very animated and there's a lot of activity or the boys have some opportunity to, to you know, get their restlessness, restlessness out. Women... Um, girls tend to learn better if there's a lot of communication and and participation um, in the class and they might feel hesitant speaking up in front of the whole class. But if you give them a smaller group project and give them more opportunity to take leadership, they might do better. And and these are gross oversimplifications. Obviously, every single person learns differently. So I think one part of it is just in the education 
right, perhaps course. catering to different learning styles and providing opportunities, you know, and, and I think just the example you gave of your friend who's helping mentor students, that's, that's critical. And I did a lot of that in graduate school. I worked in a program called Women in Science and Engineering, where both within the university and um, also with high school students, we would, we would kind of mentor these small groups of of female students in research projects in different scientific fields so that they would get exposure to a lot of different um, fields of science. And they would also, you know, get to do this in a small group setting that wasn't intimidating. So I think things like that, those kinds of educational programs are important. Um, And, you know, as, and just continuing to provide Mm -hmm. more support and role models up through the chain, you know, and then frankly, (laughs) it's funny because I've kind of left science in a sense in, in now, in my current career, I still get to work with a lot of technologists, but uh, I think we also have to recognize mm-hmm. that there's different ways of being involved in science. And I remember when I was leaving, when I finished my my uh, PhD, and I told some of my um, faculty advisors that I was going into a career in policy. My advisors were very supportive, but this one faculty member said to me, mm. "Oh, you were really talented in science. It's a shame we're losing you." And I thought well, you're not losing me. You're gaining an advocate in policy who has a science background. I, I think that's actually a good thing. So recognize that there are many pathways to success. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes the way we measure it is not always, um, is not recognizing that. So in the umbrella of the CEBN, do you have a SIG or some kind of interest group where women that are involved in clean energy can join or participate in? There are. Um, well, so we don't have an initiative explicitly focused on this. However, there's been a lot of attention in uh, the clean energy community to workforce development issues. Um, there's there's a research report called the U.S. Uh, energy Employment Report that used to be produced by the Department of Energy and um, now is being produced by um, – BK Research on behalf of the National Association for State Energy Officials, and I believe there's another partner in the project, but one of the topics that they looked into last year um, and have continued to explore is what are the workforce needs in clean energy? And frankly, a lot of businesses, and we've actually done some surveys of our members on this, Mm -hmm. um, they do struggle sometimes with finding appropriately skilled staff. And it's not that the people aren't there, but it's you know, it's hard to find the person with the niche expertise that you need. And generally speaking in this country, I think, you know, we could, we could be doing a lot better with our STEM workforce uh, preparation. So this, this certainly translates to diversity as well, because if, if, uh, you know, women and minorities are not going into these careers as extensively, then you're, pulling from a smaller pool of talent already. Mm-hmm. And you're also potentially leaving some perspectives and skill sets off the table that, you know, you wouldn't otherwise be pulling into these careers. So a lot of organizations are looking at what can be done. Um, I know the Solar Energy Industries Association in particular has done a lot of research on this and has developed a lot of initiatives within its own organization, but also as a model for solar companies to try to promote more diversity in the energy industry. Uh, It's an area where I'd frankly love for us to be more involved, um, you know, in partnership with other organizations. And one of the small ways that I'm trying to steer us in this direction is to, um, in our faces, 
behind the facts profiles. I'm particularly, you know, asking women and minorities to step up and allow us to feature their business success stories. And, Mm -hmm. you know, frankly, we still have, if you look at our website, it's still a lot of white men. (laughs) But um, I think that uh, just to this point of showcasing role models with exciting stories, you know, the more the more we can do that, I think it really helps with the industry as a whole. Well, we at Nexus PMG have committed to participating in Clean Energy Week at mm-hmm. the end of September. And so, um, you know, if I come across Wonderful. any business cases or individuals here that might make for good stories for your organization, I'll be sure to connect you with them. I would love that. That would be terrific. So then, um, before we go, if there's one piece of advice you could impart on the audience, what would it be regarding your organization or just from a holistic point of view? Yeah, I I think my advice, and I would say this is applicable to whether people are, you know, uh, professionally in job seeking. I think this is applicable to business development. And I think it's applicable to addressing uh, technology solutions for sustainability that there's really, people should put a lot of importance on social capital, on building their network Um, Hmm. because I think, you know, obviously if you're looking for a job or seeking to advance your career, that's important, but it's also really important if you're trying to grow your business. Uh, a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities come down to who, you know, or what, what opportunity has, has crossed your path. And so trying to build out networks of folks, um, you know, deepen your connections is really important. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. I think paying attention to what seminars might be out there, what networking events might be out there, ways to just meet people is really important. Um, there's, I think our network is a really good, valuable resource in this respect uh, because mm-hmm. we try to bridge connections on a nationwide scale so that uh, businesses and technologists can learn about solutions or partners that might exist across the country, uh, you know, outside of their immediate sphere and their immediate communities. And I think, um, you know, we serve as a complementary resource to a lot of these fantastic state and local clean energy associations, as well as incubators that are out there that can really provide a much deeper level of connection on a local scale or in a technology specific way, but we can help provide that, that breadth of exposure across the nation. Um, so I think people should really, you know, place an emphasis. I know everyone's busy with their head down, focusing on their technology or their, or their, um, particular company's needs, but I can't tell you how often, I have seen anecdotally and experienced personally that um, sometimes you make a connection and three, five years down the road, it proves incredibly valuable. So it's worth investing some time and effort in trying to deepen those connections. You spoke directly to my heart when you mentioned networking and social capital. I have a um, a saying up here on my whiteboard that says the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. (laughs) That's so true. I'm a firm believer in networking and and to your point, you know, whether it's just growing your network, growing your business and and the greatest part of it is the ability to help other people. And I, and I think, you know, you as an individual and your network is really, really working hard at doing that. And I, and I really appreciate you for doing that. And I really appreciate you for being on our show today. And hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll put all the links to the sites you mentioned and to your site in the footnotes and Lynn, Thank you again so much for being on the Bigger Than Us podcast. Great. Well, thank you so much, Raj. I really enjoyed it. 